You're listening to the GGC Life Podcast, weekly messages from our Sunday services. We hope this message encourages you. Be blessed. Father, we thank you for your awesome word, that this is your word from heaven. Lord, every time we open up the Bible, we receive your word. And your word is a lamp to our feet. It's a light to our pathway. We thank you for your word. We, we never take it for granted. Father, we will never want to take you for granted. You're wonderful. You're beautiful. Come in this place right now. Come in our hearts. Anoint our ears to hear what you are saying to us, that we will all individually hear from you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Wonderful. Well, if you've got your Bibles, turn to first, first, uh, the first epistle of John, the, the letter to First John. Not the Gospel of John, but the First John. We're going to go chapter 1. This is a powerful, powerful book or letter that John the Apostle wrote. He was called the Beloved. He himself said that he was the Beloved of Jesus, that Jesus loved him. He was the one that put his uh, head on the chest of Jesus in the Last Supper. It's very intimate, really close to, to Jesus. But he also wrote the book of Revelation. So he was taken into heaven. He saw the throne. He saw the end. He saw um, Satan defeated. I mean, he saw Jesus glorified in his glorified state. Jesus is no longer the, the suffering servant who came to this earth. He is the glorified King of kings, Lord of lords, the victorious one. The beautiful revelation of the book of Revelation is a revelation of Jesus. It's not a revelation of the Antichrist. It's a revelation of Jesus. I love the fact that Jesus will come back with all his saints, thousands upon thousands, 10 times, 10,000 times, 10,000 saints. We come back with him and he's on his white horse. And he's got written on his thigh, King of kings and Lord of lords. And the Bible says that he dipped his vesture in blood. Now everyone's got different theories on what blood that was. Is it the blood of the Armageddon war? My, my, I don't know if this is true. When we get to heaven, I'm going to ask Jesus. But I, I, I believe he dipped his blood in his own, that, that vesture to come, it's his blood. He dipped it in, because he's got blood in heaven. The blood of Jesus is at the altar of heaven. Hebrews tells us this in 8 and 9, chapter 8 and chapter 9, the book of Hebrews. I believe he dipped it, gives him the right to bring judgment to the earth when he finishes it all. Now John, he got this revelation, powerful revelation of the book of Revelations, to see Jesus, his face shining brighter than the sun, his eyes blazing with fire. This same John writes this powerful, jam-packed revelation of God, the life of God, and, and the life we're supposed to live because the life of God has been manifested. We're talking about the life the Father walked in. So he starts writing. We want to we read with great reverence that John knew Jesus. God, John knew the Father deeply. And he starts by saying, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. That which was from the beginning. Now, which beginning? Is it the beginning where Jesus came and started to reveal the Father? Is it the beginning? Is that what John was talking about? Or is it the beginning? We're talking about the life that was with God himself. I believe it's the beginning that was the life that was with God himself. That which was from the beginning. Before time even existed, before God even created 
heaven and earth, before he even created the angels, God existed. And the life he has, the life he walks in, was revealed to us, was manifested to us. So that which was from the beginning, we're talking about the life of God. So how do you know that? Because Scripture tells us clearly, it says that he saw it. Now this is referring to John saying, I saw, we saw it, we heard it, and we handled the word of life. Now that was John referring to him walking with Jesus on the earth, on the planet. Because Jesus revealed the Father's life. Jesus was the express image of God, Hebrew says. Jesus says, you see me, you've seen the Father. So Jesus reveals the Father to humanity. And he says, we actually we saw him with our eyes. We saw that which was from the beginning. We heard with our ears that which was from the beginning. And we even handled, we touched, we ate with him, man. We saw and heard. Then it says, the life, that word life means zoe. The Zoe life of God, the best definition is absolute life. It's really referring to the life of God. This life, the life of God was manifested and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life, this, this perfect, eternal, absolute life, this is how we know, was, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. We're talking about the life that was with the Father. So we're talking about how God the Father lives. His life was manifested. We've got some powerful insight here. And we say, God, what is the life that was with the Father? What type of life are we to live? How are we supposed to live? It's the same life that the Father had. Because that life was with the Father and was manifested to us, was revealed to us. Verse 3, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. The word fellowship is kononia. It's used for a lot of different things, but it means partnership. It means share together, to share. That we declare that we've seen this life, we heard this life, but we declare it to you. That means we announce it to you so that you may have kononia with us. And truly, our kononia, our fellowship, our partnership, our sharing is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. John is saying, we want to reveal this truth to you. We want to tell you this life that the Father had. We want you to see it and understand it. We want to announce it to you so that you can have kononia with us. So you can actually connect, fellowship, have intimacy with us. And truly, our intimacy, our connection is with the Father Himself and with His Son, Jesus. So John is walking, maybe he's quite elderly at this point of time. He's near the end of his life. and He's walked with Jesus so closely, walked with the Father so intimately. And his, his heart's burdened that he wants his children to understand this life that the Father walked in. And I love the fact that he says, what we have seen and what we have heard, we declare to you so that you may have kononia, fellowship. Have you heard, fellowship is like two fellows in a ship little ship think of a little boat two fellows in a ship face to face i mean you you got no one else to talk to you got to talk face to face eyeball to eyeball and there's intimacy god wants us so close to him there's no one else to talk to we intimately interact with god we kononia we partner with him 
First Peter, it was the second Peter that actually says that God has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness, all things that pertain to life and godliness, and that we can partake of the divine nature through these great and precious promises. God's promises, we partake of God's nature through God's promises. Divine nature. You and I partake of divine nature through His Word, through His promises. And I love another thing we need to point out in verse 3. It says, that which I've seen, that which I've heard. John says, we declare, we announce to you so that you can have fellowship with us, so you can connect with the Father. So what you see and what you hear of God should bring you an in to an encounter with God. What you see and what you hear should bring you into an encounter with Him. Connect with Him. Kononia with Him. So it's not just head knowledge. It's not just I, I, I see things. Like in the Spirit, I, I saw something I didn't know before. And now I heard something I never heard before. Revelation is always an invitation to encounter Him. Or else it's just head knowledge. If I just have a head knowledge of things... I need to experience. I'm spirit, soul, and body. I'm spirit. You have a spirit. You li- your spirit lives in a body. I can't just experience God with my head only. It's got to be all of me. Every part of me. My emotions, my feelings, my spirit. My, my spirit senses God. So what you see and hear should be an invitation to encounter Him. It's all about fellowship with Him. It's all about connecting to God. So we've got to have the right revelation of God don't we that's why this book is John reveals it and and he he says these things and these things we write to you what things I mean when you look at the language and you read it in its context you're saying that which was from the beginning which we have heard which we have seen which we have um, handled and looked upon the life was manifested and we we've seen it we bear witness we declare to you that which was from the beginning and he keeps saying, that which we declare, we see, we heard, we've, what we've seen, what we heard, we declare to you. And these things I write to you. What things? These, the life that was with the Father. These things we write to you so that your joy may be full. You and I will never walk in the fullness of joy that has been given to us unless we understand the life that was with the Father. What is the life that was with the Father? And he, and he reveals it to us. The, the joy is connected to the life of God, and the life of God is eternal life. You and I can't experience real joy unless you're connected, your value system's connected to eternal life. So we don't live for the here and now. We, hear, we live for now, but we live for eternity. We live to please the Father. We live to please God. Your motive needs to be God. Why am I here? I'm here to please God. So you need to th- sometimes think. I don't know how much you guys think, but we need to think. If I just breathe my last breath, I'm thinking about these thoughts, right? Not just think. I know we all think. But do you ever think about, what happens if I just breathe my last right now? One day you will breathe your last. True? Might be 50 years time. But 50 years or one year, it's still, one day we will all face God. And I thought about, if I was just to breathe my last right now, I know what would happen. My spirit will come out of my body. My spirit looks like me. If I, my spirit came out of my body and I stood there, I'd see my body. It would fall down because no, no spirit's in it, but my body would be there. But I could see my body and I look like I'll have a whole spiritual body. And then the angels would be there to take me to heaven. Angels will take me maybe in their chariot or maybe we'll just start flying through the universe, but we'll go to heaven. And when we, step, when we go before the, the portals of heaven, we'll go through to where heaven itself is. There is a city of God. 
The God, the Bible's clear about this. City tells you the measurements, tells you there's mansions in there, the throne of God's there, the temple of God. And God Himself sits on the throne. And Jesus and the Father is the light. There's no sun. We will be there forever. One day I will stand before Jesus. One day you will. You've got to think, like, what happens if it's just tomorrow? Am I ready? Am I living my life to please Him? Because joy is connected to this, I'm telling you. If you're trying to find joy connected to this life only, you will never find it. That's why there's an epidemic of depression. Because everyone's looking for in this life, here and now. It's all temporary, temporary, temporary. Get this, you'll be happy. You get this, you'll be happy. If you can't find that, you'll be happy. No, you won't. Joy is connected to our relationship with God. Yes, this is the message which we have heard and from Him and declare to you. Now, He was building it up, building it up, that which was from the Father. This we've heard, we've seen, we've touched, we've handled. I mean, we walked with Him. I can imagine John in his last, maybe last few years of his life, near the end of his life, he thought he remembers walking with Jesus. He remembers Jesus healing the sick, raising the dead, walking on water, delivering the Word of God. That when they persecuted, he just loved his enemies. I mean, he, he just remembers we handled the word of life. And I know that John now is walking in what he saw Jesus walk in. He was actually walking in it himself. And he says, this, this is the message. What is this message? What is it? What's this life that was with the Father? That which was, this is the message which we have heard from him and declared to you. This is it. Ready? God, I know you've already read it. But God is light. You know how powerful that is? Sometimes the most simplest revelation is actually the most powerfulest revelation. If you just get it. That God is light. And in Him, there's no darkness at all. Don't ever con um, contribute darkness to God. Because God is light and in Him there is not a shadow, not an ounce, not a second, not a moment, not a thought of darkness. God and, and the definition, I mean God is light. I really believe God is light. The Bible says, I mean even Paul says that God dwells in an unapproachable light that no man could go. But, but your spirit could. Your spirit could come out of your body and go into the throne. God is light. What do you picture God? I mean... I think God the Father sitting on His throne. The book of Revelation says that rainbows of all colors, the rainbows belong to God. Thank God for that. Rainbows of all colors come out of the being of God the Father, out of the throne. Lightnings and thunders, peals of thunder come out of God's presence. And you picture God full of light and His beauty. He's magnificent. We're made in God's image. That means He has a face like ours. God the Father. Now how beautiful He would be. How magnificent. For all eternity, we're going to be worshipping Him. I'm just trying to express something of, a, a, a little bit of what I see of God. But imagine, no human being could ever express the beauty of God. How magnificent He is. But He's light. It's like saying God is love. And in Him, there is no selfishness at all. God never has a thought of selfishness for Himself. Because He's pure love. God is joy. And in God, there's no depression. 
ever. Not a moment, not a thought, not a, not a second. God is peace. And in Him there's no anxiety, no worry, no stress. God never has a stressful thought in His life. Never thinks of Middle East and Jerusalem and Israel and the problems and, the, and all the... Never thinks, oh, what am I going to do? He, he's just at peace all the time. He knows the end from the beginning. He knows what's all going to happen. He's told us in the book, we win. The enemy loses. God is peace. We got, when, you stand, when you understand who God is, His light, and in Him there's no darkness at all. We've got to understand the nature of God. So many people in the world want to contribute things to God that God doesn't have. God has no sickness in heaven. He just doesn't have it. He's not going to have any sickness to give anybody. No disease, no sickness, nothing. God's light. And in Him there's no darkness. Every good and perfect gift comes from God. You know, blame someone, blame the devil. Jesus says, I came to give life, and I came to give life more abundantly. The devil came to steal, kill, and destroy. Blame someone, blame the devil. Put, put it in the right context. Darkness, the curse is out of darkness. The sin, everything. Sin is connected to darkness. And he says, that's the revelation of God. This is it. This is the life of the Father. You want to know God? God is light, and in Him there's no darkness at all. He's so beautiful. He's so wonderful. Makes us think, why don't we go after Him more than we do? Because the devil has deceived us to not have this revelation that God is light, and in Him, is, in him there's no darkness at all. And it says, if we say that we have fellowship, kononia, connection, intimacy with God, and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. If God is light and there's no darkness in Him at all, every time we choose to walk in darkness, we're, to that degree, we're saying we don't want to walk in light. So if we say that we have fellowship with Him, I'm connecting with Him, I'm inter I have intimacy with God, and we walk in darkness, we choose to walk in darkness, to the degree that we walk in darkness is to the degree that we're not walking in Him. It doesn't mean we're not walking in any type of light, we say we, but we're choosing darkness and that degree of darkness we're saying yes to will hinder our capacity to walk in the light in that area. Doesn't mean, we're not talking about salvation. It's got nothing to do with salvation. We're talking about fellowship and intimacy with God, connecting with God, kononia, being a friend of God, desiring Him. I think this book gives us the secret. I've always asked God, God, I want to have the real motive of hating sin for the right reason. And I believe this book gives us the reason why we should really hate sin. And really nothing else other than I hate sin because it hinders my relationship with you. That's it. Because sometimes we can say, I'm not going to sin so I can be anointed. So I can be powerful and people can see how powerful I am. That's a wrong motive to not want to sin. Or say my ministry can grow, my church could grow, or your business could grow. I want to stay close to God so I can be successful so people can see my success. Wrong motive to stay away from sin and be self-disciplined. The, the, the motive to be self-disciplined is to say, God, it hinders my relationship with you. If I choose darkness, I'm saying no to sin to that degree. And it hinders. It hurts your heart. Actually, it grieves the heart of God because He sees the potential in us. And He wants us to go after Him. But when we say no to sin, the motive should be because I want to know you. And that's why when, when we see how beautiful God is, you run after God and it's not so hard to say no to sin. 
The world has made the, the sin and as if it's attractive and as if it's powerful and it's, it's fun. And even some people used to say business, oh, you have to be conniving and you have to lie and get ahead. To get, to get ahead in business, you have to be like the world. You have to be lying, cheating, stealing, and you have to sort of... No, you don't. Who said that? God blesses light, integrity, and righteousness. Yes, you'll be persecuted, but if you walk in righteousness and integrity, um, that's what God will bless, even in the business world. 100%. But if, look at this, if we walk in the light, but if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. This is not talking about fellowship with one another on this level, me and you, brother and sister. We're talking about fellowshipping with God. Some people read this thinking that if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship. No, it's not about here, it's, it's me and God. The, the subject is us and God right now. But if we walk in the light, so God is saying, you've got to walk in all the light I give you. Do you know it's possible to walk in all the light God gives you? It doesn't mean that you're perfect all the time. It just means God's saying, walk in all the light I give you. Why? As He is in the light. God is in the light. He walks to the obedience of all the light He has. He has eternal light. But He walks in all of it. So he's saying, the light that I give you, walk in it. What is light? The entrance of your word brings light, doesn't it? Your word is a lamp to my feet, a light to my pathway. Revelation brings light. So when you get a revelation of who God, God is, it gives you light, understanding, understanding of who God is. God's saying, walk in the understanding that you have of me. And when you do that, then you have fellowship with God, kononia with God, and I love what it says. It says, and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses you from all sin. If there is any sin, the blood of Jesus cleanses you from everything. It's not that you're living perfect. It's just walk in all the light I, I give you. Walk in the light as He is in the light, and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses you from all sin. In the context of fellowshipping with God, that's the subject here in verse 8. If we say that we have no sin when we've broken fellowship with God, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. That's really what it's saying. If we say, I have no sin, but we don't have connection with God, fellowship with God, then we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, if there is a sin issue, if there's something in the way, what you do is confess your sins to God because He's faithful and just. Faithful and fair and righteous to forgive us and to cleanse us from all sin. All God expects, I remember as a baby Christian, why do you want us to confess? What's the big issue about us confessing our sin to you? And you're saying, if we confess, He's faithful and just. Why? Do you know why? Because He wants to sin out of you. And what stops you from confessing? Your sin. I'll tell you straight out, sin stops you from confessing your sin. It's like pride stops you from saying, I'm sorry, Lord, I was wrong. So it's darkness that's stopping you from confessing the darkness out of you. When you have an argument with your wife and you're, you're always right and she's always wrong. And, but when you have an argument, I have to, someone has to admit they're wrong. And if, if I'm wrong, if I made a mistake and I did something wrong, I've got to humble myself and say, honey, sorry, what I did was wrong. I should never have done that. When I say sorry, I humble myself. But when I don't want to, what stopped me from humbling myself? Pride. Pride stopping me from humbling myself and get rid of the issue of sin. Pride. So pride is darkness. is holding me back from confessing darkness out. 
All God wants is you to admit, just there's something wrong in my life. Lord, yes, I didn't trust you in this area. Forgive me for doing it in my own strength. That's all God expects, and darkness leaves you. And He's faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. What a beautiful God we have. God's just saying, deal, just deal with it. Confess it out of you, because that's what's stopping you from having a relationship with me. If you just confess it and admit it, and not about feeling. You've got to stop looking at your own feelings. Stop looking at how you feel about your sin. Your feelings has nothing to do with God forgiving you. You can feel unforgiven, but God has forgiven you. Did you know that? By listening to the liar. You know, you say, God, forgive me for that. And the devil says, yeah, you're going to do it again. Oh, am I going to do it again? He's lying to me. Check your feelings. Do you feel forgiven? No, I don't really feel forgiven. You've done that so many times. God's not going to forgive you again. Have I, have I done this? No, I have done that so many times, haven't I? Am I going to do it again? What am I doing? Living in my own sin and guilt, listening to the liar. He's just condemning me, spewing condemnation, spewing vomit. And I'm listening to guilt and shame because I'm relying on my own self. God, and, and, and the devil says, you know, you, you, you better, you should, you're not forgiven because you've done that so many times. And God hasn't, God hasn't forgiven you this time. Check your feelings. Do you feel forgiven? No, I don't, I don't really feel forgiven. You should live right for a few days before you feel forgiven. Show God that you're real. Show God that you're sincere. The moment he says that to you, you're relying on your own righteousness to live right for a few days or a week or two to prove to God, yes, I'm doing it in my own works. It's wrong. You can't do it in your own works. If you're relying on your own works for a few days to see that you've, uh, I'm sincere, therefore God has forgiven me, you're basing everything on your feelings rather than the precious blood of Jesus. His blood is enough. Jesus died on the cross for my sin. There actually isn't a sin issue or sin problem. I just got to know that it's been dealt with. But what John is trying to say is, don't say you have fellowship with me, I'm light, but choose to walk in darkness. If I, if I was to say to you, or myself, I said, if I had a choice to walk with eyesight or to be physically blind, what obvious choice would we take? No one would like to be physically blind, to choose blindness over to see. Yet the picture here, the whole book is actually talking about, if you walk in light, which the definition of light is love, but you've got to know what love is. Real love is to lay down your life for your brother. That's the definition of love. The definition of love is if you have this world's life and good, good, good this world's good, good things, and it actually means life, but the, the livelihood. If you have this world's livelihood and you see your brother in need, you shut up your bowels of compassion from him, how can the love of God dwell in you? Don't love in, de- don't love in word and tongue, but love in deed and in truth. This is how you assure your hearts before God. And he says, as Jesus, this is how we know love. I'm just giving you a pre, a little bit of what the definition of love is. This is how we know love, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought, ought means we're indebted to lay down our lives for one another. True love is laying down your life. But, and then the definition of hate is if you hate less your brother than yourself. Hate means to love them less. To love is to love them as I love myself. 
Because that's the commandment, isn't it? To love someone is to love others as I love myself. So if I don't lay down my life for my fellow man, I'm not walking in love and I'm not walking in light. I'm not walking in light. We can't say we're walking in light if we only live for our little old self. I live for myself, me, myself, and I. I heard Brian Houston quote, and he says, If God answered your prayers, all your prayers just got answered, would it change your world or would it change the world? Who are you praying for? Is it all your prayers about you? Because it will change your world if you got answered. But imagine if all our prayers were about others. And if God answered, it will change the world. So true. What lives are we living? We've got to live lives that belong to God and say, this is the life that was manifested. God the Father lives in pure, absolute love. God is love. 1 Corinthians 13. Love is not self-seeking. Love doesn't boast about itself. Love is patient and kind. This is God towards us. So we want to have fellowship with who God is, but we choose to walk in darkness or selfishness. We're actually blind and we don't even know where we're stumbling over. I'd hate to live life blind. But if we live with selfish lives, we actually put the blinders on. The greatest disease known to mankind, I'll tell you what it is, selfishness. Because sin nature brought in selfishness. We just made ourselves the king. We put ourselves on our throne. But the life that was manifested is that God's on the throne and we lay down our life to love our fellow man. That's life. Real life is to love one another. You can't get any greater joy when you go somewhere and you help someone, you feed them, you, give, you, know, you go to India and you see the poverty and you, you know that you're doing something to help and relief. Now, I do believe in giving, giving them, you know, teach them to fish then just give them a fish. Because you teach them to fish, they'll have a fish forever. But you just give them a fish, they'll still have the problem tomorrow. So you want to create resources. You want to give them resources so that they actually become self-sufficient and they create their own wealth. I believe in that very strongly. But it's beautiful to be able to be a blessing to others, to live your life laid down. It's important to give you a little bit of that so that when you do read the Scriptures, it all makes sense. When you read this book, it all makes sense. It all comes together. John had such a powerful revelation of this life. He says, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned when we've broken fellowship with God, we make Him a liar and His word is not in us. We make Him a liar and His word is not in us. If I have a, a, a disagreement with my wife and an argument, it, our position is still husband and wife. But our intimacy can be affected until one of us admits whoever was wrong, uh, humbles themselves, sometimes it's both of us because of our attitude, and we say, forgive us, yeah, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that, and I shouldn't have said it that way. And when we humble ourselves, it's restored. And what, that's, what he's saying is, if we say we have not sinned when you've broken fellowship, you're making him a liar. Just deal with the darkness you've said yes to. Because the only thing that's stopping us is us. But doesn't the Bible say, draw near to God? And he would draw near to us. God never moved away. If you feel distant from God, we moved away. And it sometimes takes years to move away. It might take months. The enemy, the biggest, 
strategy the enemy has is not to get you overnight, but to get you slowly with compromise upon compromise upon compromise. So slowly. I'll get you so slowly you won't even realize I got you. And after a few years back, you look back, how did I end up here? I got you. Because you wouldn't listen to me overnight, but I got you. It took me three or four years, but I got you cold-hearted and upset with God and angry with the world. And it's everybody else's fault. But he gets you through compromise so slowly. I've seen it over years. I've seen it over ministry, of doing ministry over years. Chapter 2, verse 1, doesn't, doesn't change the subject. He's continuing with the subject. He's still telling us this story of, of fellowship with God, connection with God. My little children, he says, these things I write to you. So it's a beautiful heart of the Father. John is saying, so that you may not sin. The reason why I'm telling you this is why sin? Why choose darkness over seeing with your eyes? Why choose blindness over being able to see? So that you may not sin. If anyone sins, not when you sin, but if anyone sins, this is the good news. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. We have an advocate. If you do sin, it's still not a problem because we have the, an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ is at the right hand of the Father. It's like there's a man that represents mankind in the presence of Almighty God at the right hand of the Father. He represents your righteousness. God looks at Jesus and overlooks our sin. The, the redemption of Christ is so perfect. Nothing can be added to it. There's nothing you can do to add to it. It's been dealt with. It's been paid for. It, redemption has been paid. It belongs to you. It's already yours. You can't do anything to earn it. It's perfect because God came up with the idea. Look what it says. Jesus Christ, the righteous, He Himself is the propitiation for our sins. <laughs> Devil, He Himself. Jesus Himself is a propitiation. He's the atonement. He's your atonement. Jesus Himself at the right hand of the Father. When Jesus was on the cross, it is finished. He spoke the book of Psalms, I believe. And right at the end of Psalms, I think it was 22, He says, it is finished. Now, what that meant is I can't do anything. I can't undo it. He's, like once He gave up the ghost, once He... Nothing would go wrong. But it wasn't finished. It was finished because he was complete in his obedience. But when he died and was buried, the Bible says when he was resurrected, I believe he went to hell for three and a half days. But after he was resurrected, the Bible says clear in Hebrews 8, 9 and 10. You can't unsee this. I don't know why people don't preach this more than we should. But Hebrews clearly says, not with the blood of bulls and goats, but with his own blood. He went to the Holy of Holies. Not the one made with hands, but the one without hands in heaven itself. Jesus went with his own blood and poured it at the altar. They were all a copy of the true one in heaven, Hebrews says. Moses had to write it down exactly as God showed it to him because it was a typology of the real one in heaven. And Jesus, being the Son of the living God, went into heaven itself, the Holy of Holies. There's an altar there. And he poured out his blood, all the blood he walked in on the earth, the pure blood of Christ. It's poured out and it's crying out mercy and grace for us. Perfect redemption. And now Jesus is glorified. There's a man at the right hand of the Father, but that man represents you. Why is that so true? Because Jesus did not have to die for his own sin. He died for your sin. So his victory over sin and death wasn't for himself. 
it was for you. Total identification. You actually have the victory over death and sin. You actually got it. We just don't know the prison doors open, but we actually have it. When we walk in His authority, we have the victory over death and sin. Actually, in reality, we just got to know it. It's like a billionaire put a billion dollars into your bank account, but you don't know it's there. It's useless to you. But it's in your bank account, in your name. Until you know that it's there and you exercise your authority with a signature or a pin, then you access what's actually yours. It's in our account. It actually belongs to us. We've got to know in the name of Jesus, power of attorney, Father, thank you. I've access to the Father because of Jesus. He himself is a propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Now by this we know that we know him. Now this, this is it. Now by this we know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. What's his commandment? We th- people read that, I think it's the Ten Commandments. I'm not talking about the Ten Commandments. It's talking about the commandment of love. If we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. He's basically saying the same thing. He says, I have fellowship with him and walks in darkness. He's not doing it. He's saying, but now he's saying, if you say you know him and you don't keep his commandments, he's a liar. And, and the commandment is the commandment of love to lay down your life for your fellow man. Whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him, complete in him. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. How did he walk? He manifested the life of the Father. What was the life of the Father? Today, lay down your life. The whole theme of this book is love. What true love is, is to lay down your life for your fellow man. And what hate is. Don't be like, goes on to say, don't be like Cain, who murdered his brother. Why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his was righteous. Don't be like, because no murderer has eternal life in him. But what's the definition of a murderer? Hate. What's the definition of hate? Not laying down your life for others. So the question is, my question to us that we will answer at the Connect Group, are you walking in all the light that God has given you? Are you walking in all the light God has given you? And if not, you've got to answer it. You say, God, if not, I want to deal with the stuff in my life that's hindering me from walking in all the light. My motivation is I want to fellowship with you. I want to know you. I want to get to know you more. He's a beautiful God. He's magnificent. We have the greatest secret that the world needs to know. It's a relationship with God. And I think about... This is what is love. Yes, if you have this world's good goods, or this world's life, and you see your brother in need, and you shut up your bowels of compassion, we have this world's good and air of forgiveness, and the good news of Jesus. They are starving. They will go to hell without Christ, unless we share Jesus to them. We have this world's goods. It's our responsibility to share our faith, as the Lord opens up the door. Amen. I, I, I want to say this just in case you're not here next week for some reason. I hope you are, but 
And then tonight I'm going to continue this. But this book, this letter, tells you what the Antichrist spirit is. The Antichrist spirit is test the spirits to see if they're of God. Any spirit that's not, that does not confess that Jesus is the Christ is not of God. Jesus, the word Jesus means salvation. Every spirit that does not confess that salvation is the anointed one. Let's say it this way. That the only way, the anointed one to save is Jesus. So unless you and I believe, and the, this book is full of it. This, I'm just paraphrasing it. Unless you and I believe completely that the only way of salvation, the only anointed one to save is Jesus, Yahweh, um, sorry, Yeshua, which means salvation. Jesus is the only way for salvation. Unless you do believe that, you're not of God. That's a strong foundation. That if you believe that, you grounded in the truth. But somewhere if you think, oh, yeah, but Leo, God's a good God, a loving God, and as long as you're a good person, I know I believe in, my, I believe in Jesus, but yeah, you can believe in these religions, and as long as you believe, no. There's only one way of salvation. And anyone that believes other than this is antichrist. And that spirit's already in the world, John says. Anyone that believes other than this, the only way for salvation is Christ Jesus. The book says that He is the Savior of the world. The only anointed to save. That's why demons can't confess the name of Jesus. Just confess Jesus. They can't. Unless Jesus is the Christ. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus is the Christ, is of God. Everyone that does not confess Jesus is not of God. And he who has the Son, I love this scripture in the Bible. He who has the Son has the Father. Other translation, he who acknowledges the Son acknowledges the Father. Just for a moment, I want to practice the presence of God. Can we do that together? Right now, in your heart, acknowledge Jesus as the only Savior. Just acknowledge Him, how you know how. Just close your eyes and just acknowledge Jesus. Acknowledge Jesus as the one and only Savior. Acknowledge He's the one who paid the price for our sin. When you acknowledge Him and accept Him as the one and only way of salvation, you have the Father's presence automatically you don't have to do anything to earn it you just have oh but i haven't lived right leo just have let me live right for a while no you just have acknowledge his son because he gave testimony to his son He, he bore witness to his son god the father bore witness to his son he who acknowledges the son has the father father we acknowledge your son jesus as the only way for salvation the Savior of the world. We paid the price for all of humanity, but Father, they need to hear the good news. Help us to walk in the honor of this message, willing to give our life for it, willing to lay down our life, willing to be persecuted, willing to die. Right till you come back, Jesus. Make this strong in our hearts. Let it be a foundation in our thinking where we totally believe, completely and only believe Jesus is the only anointed one to save from our sin. Come Holy Spirit.
You've been listening to the GGC Life Podcast. We hope this message has encouraged you. For more, please visit our website, ggclife.com or email us, ggclife at ggclife.com. From our house to yours, be blessed.